turn, once you find your seat, to John chapter 14. I'm going to read just a few verses, and then we're going to work our way. I'm not going to read the whole text. We're going to finish the 14th chapter, but just <coughs> to be make the best use of our time, I'm going to read uh, verses 19 through 21. Verses 19 through 21. And then we'll pick up and read the rest of the verses as we go through. Starting with verse 19, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. John chapter 14, starting with verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that we're reading your words that are settled forever in heaven. The words that you spoke to the apostles, the disciples there on that night, they still ring in our hearts and our minds and our souls 2,000 years later. Lord, I pray that you would give me your, pe your peace, your presence, your power, the help of your Holy Spirit, the ministry of your Spirit, your wisdom, your insight, your anointing. And Lord, you would prepare every heart. You would speak to us with us finding ourselves here with listening ears and soft hearts. Lord, I pray that it would be your anointing, it would be your moving in this place and those that are watching online, that your words, which are alive, will come alive to each and every one of us. We would leave here more in love with you, more dependent on the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have the same upper room setting, Jesus' discourse, Jesus' encouragement, and the building up of his disciples continues. The shadow of the cross is now getting closer and closer by the minute. Yet Jesus remains focused on strengthening and preparing these 11 men that he has saved and loved with an eternal love. He has assured them that if they pray in his name, he will answer. Aren't you glad God gives you that promise too? If you pray in his name, according to his character, we talked about that last week. And that like their master, the Son of God sent down from heaven, they too will do the works of the Father. And although Jesus will soon be leaving, he has just promised to send them another helper, one equal to himself, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, promised and given only to those who have trusted in Jesus. And he told them that not only would the Spirit be with them, but that the Spirit would be in them. As they had been led by Jesus for the previous three years, following everywhere he went, now they would be led by the Spirit living in them side of them. 
So here, Jesus continues explaining to the eleven what he will do on their behalf. As he now departs, how he will provide for them and empower them. How many of you feel like you need Jesus to provide for you and empower you? Yeah. Of course we do. And to help them keep his commandments. You may be here today and you want to keep God's commandments. You say, I want to keep his commandments. Guess what? God knows you want to, if you want to. Not everybody wants to. And he gives you the helper to help you do that, which he's placed in our hearts. And he's going to help them to continue to grow as disciples. And he'll help us to continue to grow as disciples. And to continue his work in the disciples as they will soon take on the role and the responsibility of being the 11 plus Paul, 12 apostles. And as Jesus has been doing the teaching, guess what? They will now start doing the teaching after he has risen. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Seeing and Serving Jesus Through the Spirit. Look back at verses 19 and 20 with me. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. A reminder here once again for us that there's no break in the discussion. We've been having to partition this week after week, but there's no break in the discussion. This is one singular discourse, discussion that Jesus is having with the eleven once Judas has left the room, which he has. But Jesus returns again here to his imminent departure, which is the prominent and dominant thought in the disciples' mind. He's leaving us. He's leaving us. He's leaving us. Why is he leaving us? Where is he going? And he tells them that the world will no longer see him, but that they will see him. The world's not going to see him. What does he mean? That the world won't see him, but they're still going to see him? He said he's going away. How would they see him if he's going away? These two verses, 19 and 20, taken together, uh, are in my view a multi-layered, there's many passages in Scripture that are multi-layered, but a multi-layered statement by Jesus with the primary emphasis centered on the promise of the Helper. That's the primary emphasis here. I'm going to put up on the screen three different, the three different layers. Now, I'm not saying that these are all the layers because Jesus could go layer after layer after layer after layer of depth. And when we get to heaven, he's going to teach us layers that we never even saw. But these are some of the layers. And this is my way of describing three perspectives uh, as I've studied this. The first layer I'll call the physical miraculous to what he says. And what I mean by that is he says, again, the world's not going to see me, but you will see me. This first layer I call the physical miraculous. Jesus is now hours away from going to the cross. Three days later, after he dies, he will powerfully raise himself from the dead, conquering sin and death. They will see him what? Physically. They'll even touch the nail prints in his hand. They'll touch the scars. They'll, he says, handle my flesh. They will physically see his resurrection. 
But in the 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension, I don't know if you guys know this, but he will only show himself to his own, his sheep. He only shows himself in that 40 years to born-again believers, not just the apostles, but also Mary Magdalene and Mary his mother and the women and even more, up to 500 of the disciples, total disciples. You have the 12 apostles, but you also have disciples. But only those who have believed in him by faith. And because he's risen from the dead, he also says, because I live, you'll also live. You also, your physical body someday, even if it has dissolved, you went down the Titanic, if you're a believer, I'm going to reconstitute, you're going to have a physical body that's going to see him face to face. The physical miraculous starts with Jesus' physical resurrection, and we're part of his resurrection. But obviously that's not happened at that point, so he's not only talking about that. Layer number two which I believe is the primary emphasis, and this is about the Holy Spirit, the Helper, which I'll call the spiritual miraculous, the indwelling of Christ. You can't see the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't say, if someone says, show me the Spirit, all right, let me draw a picture for you. We have symbols like the dove, but you can't see the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is invisible, right? However, Jesus said, you will see me. And the spirit part goes back to where he says, back in verse 17, where he says, the spirit of truth, you will see him, but the world will not see him. How is Jesus able to say that we will see the Holy Spirit and see him when he's seated in heaven and I can't literally, physically see the Holy Spirit? Because the spirit conveys to us the presence of the spirit. Spirit reveals spirit. Physical eyes see physical things. But the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus said in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I've never seen Jesus personally, but I'm more positive he exists than I am world leaders exist. I'm not even sure if some of our world leaders are actually doing anything, but that's a different story. But I'm positive Jesus is on the throne. And I've never seen the Holy Spirit, but boy, I sense his presence in my life. Those are without Christ. They can't see the presence of Christ. They can't see the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the world would not see him. They wouldn't see him risen from the dead. Only the disciples and others that were believers. They wouldn't see him spiritually because they wouldn't have him residing in their hearts. So they wouldn't see it. You know, you talk to your unsaved friends, and you guys, you guys, you're invisible God. I only believe what I can see. We'll come back to that that thought a little bit later. But Jesus said, and uh, or, the, or Paul, the apostle Paul said in Romans eight nine, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So we know. We have the Spirit because we know the presence of the Spirit. We can see the work of the Spirit. We can see God doing the work in His church. In verse 20, He said, You'll know the Father through the Son, and you'll know the Son is in you by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one that reveals to us the presence of Christ, how we can see the work of Jesus in our life. The third layer, if you look up on the screen, the third layer I'll call the future miraculous. So we have the physical resurrection of Jesus, the spiritual, the presence of the helper, the invisible indwelling work of the Spirit 
is that spiritual miraculous, and all these are miraculous. That's why I put miraculous. It's a miracle that God would put his spirit in us. It's a miracle that Jesus rose from the dead. And the third miracle is it would be a miracle when Jesus returns and we meet him in the clouds. And we have the future miraculous. And then, what we have known to be true already by the Holy Spirit, we will get to see as they did immediately after the resurrection, standing in the clouds. You ever look, I look up at the clouds and I'm going to stand in them things someday. Just like the birds even have to flap. I won't have to flap a wing or anything. Just stand there with Jesus. I'll call this future miraculous. And those who are saved will see Jesus face to face when he gathers them to himself. In um, understanding this, each of these, each of these facets are simultaneously true. All three of these, they're simultaneously true. They either have happened, are happening presently happening, or will happen. All of them. And I would ask all of us, and those of you who are online, are you seeing, remember back in verse 17, Jesus said, you will see the Spirit, and He will be in you. Verse uh, Right here in 19 and 20, you will see me, but the world will not see you. Are you seeing Jesus working in your life, and are you seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Can you see the work of the Spirit? Do you know that he's present in you? Going back to the Scottish pastor and theologian that I mentioned several weeks ago. Um, I just resonated with me. I know that my wife loves me. I don't care if you say she doesn't. I know my wife loves me. Right there on the front row. She's on the front row every Sunday. I know she loves me. <laughs> Why else would she be on the front row? But I know that she loves me. She knows I love her. It doesn't matter what other people say. We cannot prove it in a lab. There's no science test we can do to prove it. All right, if I don't get a readout, I don't believe it. You're not going to get a readout from God. You're going to get to read His Word. But you're not going to get a readout. You're not going to get some, uh, I will certify this. He already did that with the cross. There's proof of love. But our faith, like a marriage, has evidence. A good marriage has evidence. Even though it can't be proven in a lab, it has evidence. It's not the evidence that the world accepts, but it's the evidence that God says is present. And by the way, God doesn't adhere to what the world wants. He'll never give them what they want. It's the other way around. We've got to come to what He offers. The evidence that He's given. Speaking of evidence, look at verse 21. He has... Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus reiterates here what he said in verse 15, where he started saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that preceded the promise of the helper. He said, if you love me, I will keep my commandments, I will send the helper. The proof that we love Jesus is that we obey his commands. That's what he's saying. That's the proof that we love him, that we obey his commands. And by the way, this should be somewhat reassuring to you. In this lifetime, guess what? We will never exhibit perfect obedience to Jesus. 
No one in here can say, I, I've been 100% obedient. Not even and tiniest of infraction. None of us will have perfect obedience. But just like our kids, those of you who have children, or maybe your kids are grown and out of the house by now, whatever, you would know if you would consider your kids obedient kids or not obedient kids. And some people have had one of both, right? We have one that obeys and one that never obeys. And then they, if they come back to the faith, they're called a prodigal coming home. But you would know if your children are obedient or not obedient. And by the way, this is one they should be teaching in the schools in America. You want a long life? Honor your father and mother that your days would be long upon the earth. It's still in the Bible. I know the schools have forgotten anything that's in the Bible. But it's still there. I would tell all you young people, honor your father and mother, your days would be long upon the earth. Jesus said, you want to know if you love me? Obey my commandments. Parents want to know if your kids love me? They would obey. Just like I've said many times before, um, I've used this analogy lots of times, but it's, it's one that we can understand. Uh, how many have a job? Okay. You probably can look around, you're, whatever you're, if you're is an office, or you work outside, or you work in construction, or you work in medical, you can look around and say, faithful employee, faithful employee, fa not a faithful employee, faithful employee, faithful employee, faithful employee, I need this project done by Friday, I never would count on them, never would count on them, I'd count on them, 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 you know what I'm saying? Just like we know what a faithful employee is, and your employer knows, well they should know, God knows who's faithful. Who's really obedient? Not perfect in obedience, but obedient. We can't play games with God. He knows if you're obedient. He knows if you obey and love his commandments or not. He doesn't get in gamesmanship. Well, they're not perfect either. No, no, no. That doesn't work. He knows who is who. But our obedience, it'll be evident and it will be consistent. Consistency equals maturity. Maturity equals consistent. We're growing and maturing. Our love for Jesus should not be receding, but growing. And to love and obey Jesus is to be loved by God the Father. He said, He loves me, and I will love Him, and I will manifest myself to Him. William MacDonald said this. He said, The real proof, the real proof of one's love to the Lord is obedience to his commandments. It is useless to talk about loving him if we do not want to obey him. That's true, isn't it? It's useless. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Well, do you obey? No, I don't do that, but I sure do love him. I sing a worship song. I go to church one out of every ten Sundays. Oh, I do that kind of... He's got to be happy with my tip of time. No. It's useless to talk about loving him if we don't obey him. Let's look at verse 22. So Judas, um, not Judas Iscariot here. It says, uh, verse 22, we're, uh, we didn't read these verses. We're going to go as we go uh, verse by verse all the way to the end here. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Uh, by the way, the name Judas means he shall be praised. It also is, you can use the word just Judah, like the tribe. Uh, so Judas is kind of the Greek derivative of saying Judah. So if you were to say to someone, 
Judah or Judas, you're calling them the same name. One would be more the Hebrew name. But within the 12, there were two Judases. There was a fake Judas and a genuine Judas. There was one who could be praised because his faith and his life was a praise to his Savior and to the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then the other, other one who discarded what could have been faith to praise himself and to exalt himself and actually even exalt Satan. Side by side in Scripture, we often have true and counterfeits throughout the Scriptures, don't we? We see that many a times uh, in the Bible. But his question, Judas's question is, Jesus, how are you going to manifest? How are you going to disclose yourself to us? And the word manifest, uh, how will you manifest? Uh, his question is a pretty sincere question in the sense that he's saying, hold on, we live in the world. The people that don't believe you live in the world, you said we're going to see you, but they won't see you. How is it that we will see you and they won't see you when we're seeing you right now? They could see you right now. I don't understand. Jesus is saying, the word, when he says to them, I will manifest myself to you, uh, or he's asking, how are you going to manifest yourself to us? Um, that word means to make oneself known, to inform, to appear. So how does Jesus, we're sitting here in Chesterfield County, we're not sitting at the throne room of God, how does Jesus manifest himself to us? How does he inform himself to us? How will we see Jesus compared to the rest of the world? How would they have seen him compared to the rest of the world if he's gone and they're still going to see him? Verse 23, Jesus is glad you asked. Here you go. Judas asked on your behalf. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He doesn't exactly answer Judas's question the way you and I would answer it. Here's what I find fascinating about Jesus. This actually came to me in the first service. It wasn't in my notes, I believe. Uh, Jesus does not just answer questions from people that ask sincere questions. Now, when you ask a sincere question, every time you see someone in the Bible that really is asking Jesus a sincere question, it's not a trying to trap him question like the Pharisees at. Those he got... They got some pretty firm answers back that were just kind of putting them in their place. Here, he's really answering what Judas is asking on behalf of the 11. But here's what I think God always knows about us. He not only, Jesus answers the question here, not just does he answer the question, but why you asked the question. Does that make sense? He says, I, I, here's your question, but I actually see deep in your soul why you asked it. So I'm going to go even past the question to the why you asked it. So, Jesus reiterates here, if anyone loves him, you're going to have to keep my word. You're asking because you want to know what is it that you want, what, what is it that I want you to be doing. And Jesus reiterates again that loving and obeying him will be the means of seeing him. Let me say that again. Loving him and obeying him are the means to seeing him and further knowing him. To keep his word, 
the sayings of God, the decrees of God, the mandates of God, the orders of God, those are all his commandments, to cling to the word of God on purpose. To purpose in our hearts to obey him out of our love for him. Why? Because he first loved us. It's reciprocal. Notice the we here. He says, if anyone loves me and keeps my word and, uh, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says, right, well, you're going to see me. Judas, great question. I even know why you asked it. I even know the reasons why you don't know why you asked it. You need to know that the more you love me and keep my command, the more you're going to see me. No matter whether I'm in heaven or in your heart, which I'm in both places anyway, don't worry. I've got all those places covered. You're going to, uh, and the more you love me, the closer you're going to get and the more I'm going to manifest myself to you. And the we is the Father through the Son by the Spirit. The Father through the Son by the Spirit. The triune God will make his home with us. Rotten, wretched sinners like us, God is making his home in us. Isn't that amazing? When you think of how still and perfect you are, that the Holy Spirit takes residence in our rat-infested selves, right? That God will make his home. It'll be a deeper relationship. and It'll become more real, not less real. More real over time. Those of you that are in the Lord, you know that you've matured in your faith. Going back to that marriage analogy again. When there's genuine love in a marriage, you become more at home with one another, not less at home with one another. Amen? You become more at home. You think each other's thoughts before the other one even thinks it or says it. Which sometimes is annoying. But it's not in the... But it's not annoying in the presence of the Holy Spirit because you want to have the mind of Christ. Amen? Amen. Verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. That couldn't be more straightforward. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus again underscores this. Do you think he's trying to get the message clear? That anyone that refuses to obey him and keep his commands does not love him. And all of this, he said, is coming expressly from God the Father. He said, this is what the Father wanted me to tell you. He wanted me to tell you multiple times the same thing in various ways. That the point is driven. Why? Because these guys are going to have to teach it for the next couple of decades till they pass away and then it'll be passed on to the next generation and we're still teaching it today and we're not changing one word of it in this church. Amen? Whatever Jesus taught, we're going to teach it. The same way he said it. If this is what he said, we need to understand it. If we don't understand it, then Holy Spirit, help us understand it. That's the way it works. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. He said these things while he's been present, physically present with them. And this has been an ordained time in the upper room. We're still talking about this upper room discussion 2,000 years ago. And we're talking about it for weeks because he said, in, my, in your presence, I've shared all these things with you. But I think we should know by now that a lot of what he said, perhaps most of what he said, is going over their heads. You can tell by the questions they're asking. We're like, are you guys listening? 
Because we're sitting over here, and we can, but we have the advantage of seeing the scriptures now. They were in the moment, and a lot of it was going over their heads. And Jesus said, I've said all this in, my, in your presence, but look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, will send in my name, he will teach you all, you can put a big circle around, all things, and bring to your remembrance all, another circle, all things I have said to you. This is very important. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to teach them after their present, physical presence of Jesus, rabbi and teacher, after the rabbi that they've been learning from for three years, they've been learning from in this night in the upper room, that they don't understand everything he's saying. After he has left, the Holy Spirit will take their knowledge base and finally raise it up and say, all that stuff y'all didn't understand, not, maybe not all of it, because some of it we won't even understand until we get to heaven, but quite a bit of what they didn't understand. Oh, that's what you meant by you would be rising from three days. Oh, that's what you meant by the helper. Oh, all these things would start to come clear. And the Holy Spirit would take whatever they had heard from Jesus and keep going back to it until those of you teachers... You do your chapters, and then you keep going back, and you keep overlapping, right? You've got to go back three chapters to cut and pull it forward. Back three to pull it forward. That's what the Holy Spirit would be doing with everything Jesus had taught them. And the Spirit will take the things that Jesus said and bring them to remembrance. Aren't you glad that you have the Holy Spirit to bring things to your remembrance? You'll get a verse in the middle of the night. You're walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and a verse will pop in your head. That's the Holy Spirit. You'll be riding around on Tuesday and something that we read in the Word today will come back to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Dr. Henry Morris said, this means that the work of the Spirit would be a work of continuation. In other words, he would take the baton from Jesus and keep teaching them the same things. His teachings would continue what Jesus had already taught. The Holy Spirit isn't there to bring a new teaching, but to reveal the teaching of Jesus. I would add that the New Testament scriptures, which have yet to be written, remember at this point in the upper room, nothing in the New Testament, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew through Revelation have not been penned yet. No, no scriptures have been written. Jesus is the living epistle in their presence, but nothing has been written. The New Testament scriptures that would be spirit-breathed from the Father, just as Jesus' words were, those scriptures would be written by taking the foundational teachings of Jesus and further explaining them and making them more, I, I, I would say, in the way of application and further aid from God in our work of sanctification, but they would all build off of Jesus' teachings. That makes sense? <clears throat> Everything. You know, the Corinthian epistles, 1st 2nd Timothy, <clears throat> any of them. What they don't understand will be made clear. Anything they need to understand is going to be made clear. The Spirit will reteach what Jesus has taught, and he will build upon what they've already come to believe by faith and understand. And the same thing happens with all of us. The Spirit builds upon your original saving faith. If you've been saved, for me, 27 years ago, 1995, the Spirit's been building on that original faith through the Word of God and the indwelling presence of the Spirit, which keeps taking me back to the things Jesus said again and again. And they actually go deeper. Any person convicts us and he affirms us of the truths we need to apply. Not just the truths we know, head knowledge, but the Spirit says, hey, you've been saying you know that. You need to start walking in that. 
The Spirit does that. And when we read the Word of God or hear it, we have the Spirit inside us to illuminate and later remind us of what we've read. We can even have a passage, like I said, just come back to us at any moment. Even in a dream, you can have a verse come out. You ever had that? Like a, a verse pops up in your dream. Like, hey, Lord, I really appreciate it. I needed that. In 1 John 2.27, this is a passage that has been misused at times by people. We'll, we'll take a look at what it means. 1 John 2.27, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. That's the Holy Spirit. In. In you. Abides in you. The anointing is the Spirit. Abides in you. You do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, by the way, same author. This is John the Apostle who wrote this. This is John the Apostle who wrote John 14. Same author. Now, it's interesting, because I've heard this verse vastly misused at times. Usually I've heard it used correctly. But every now and then I've heard someone say, oh, what in the world? Are they, they've taken that verse and they're making it heresy. Uh, John was obviously a teacher in the church. Not just a teacher, one of the apostles. He was, setting, he was in charge of setting the church's foundation along with the other apostles. He wasn't just a teacher, but he was teaching not only when he would teach in the church, he's literally teaching with this verse and with this epistle. So he's not saying you don't need apostles or pastors or teachers. That is not what he's saying at all. What is he saying? Because he said, you don't need anyone to teach you. That's, <laughs> he's teaching them right now. So he knows they need someone to teach them. He knows they need pastors and teachers and they needed the apostles themselves. He didn't mean that you didn't need teachers or pastors or, or people that are anointed with the Spirit of God. He said that if you're saved, you have the Spirit's anointing in you. And that's really important that if you, if you have the Spirit's anointing, well, then the Spirit will show you and illuminate that's true. I need to grab onto that. that. That's for me. I need to start to apply that in my life. You have the Spirit. and You don't have to have anyone making you do these things. It emphasizes the importance. The Spirit will emphasize the importance of you obeying the truth, not just hearing it, but actually obeying it. God doesn't give us His Word just to know, but to do and to apply it. As a pastor, and John as an apostle couldn't do this either. John could not make believers read their Bible and pray. I will not see most of you till next Sunday. I'll see some of you between now and Wednesday. I'll see some of you on Wednesday. I am not the guy riding shotgun with you all this week saying, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you talking to Jesus? Are you doing this? Have you witnessed anyone? You know, no, you have the Holy Spirit. That's what John is saying. He's saying after you've been taught, you don't need a teacher with you every moment of the day. You actually have the Holy Spirit. So now that John's saying anytime you are taught truth, the Spirit will remind you when no one else is around, you'll always have God remind you to do these things. It would be, uh, I would be exhausted trying to do all of that. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's the one exhorting, reminding, encouraging, and chastening as necessary. I can't even chasten people if I want to. But the Holy Spirit can chasten. And he knows exactly how to chasten you and I when, else, when no one else would know how to do that. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Spirit will not just teach us 
and lead us and bring us back to the remembrance of the things of Jesus. But the Spirit is the one that will impart peace into the children of God, the disciples of Christ. One of the names of Jesus, you guys know, is Prince of Peace. It means he has total authority. He holds peace in his hand and he dispenses it to whomever he chooses. You cannot buy peace. You cannot manufacture peace. Did you know every peace treaty is ever every peace treaty ever put in place is always broken? People cannot have peace with each other. They cannot have peace in themselves. They can only receive peace from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And it's administered to us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All this is Jesus is saying, these are all roles of the helper, remembering his words, convicting you, giving you peace. Say, I need peace. You need to then learn to abide in the presence of the Spirit. Well, the Spirit's already in me. Yes, you need to learn to listen to the Spirit. The peace Jesus is leaving with the disciples is the presence of the Helper. Because he says, peace I have left with you, my peace. It's literally the presence of the Holy Spirit. He said, if you have my presence, you have my peace. You have the person, inward work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The word peace is in there, but it's not the only word in there, is it? These other fruits are, are pretty helpful too, aren't they? Patience, that's great in traffic on Monday. That one is a good one. Great to have. Kindness goes with that same traffic scenario. Patience and kindness, same, same, you're in the same vehicle for that one. Love is even there, too. You know, I'm, all right, go ahead. You know, I love you. don't even know you. But that, even though you gave me a hand signal and everything, I love you no matter what. But the world gives temporary pleasures and distractions, but it can't give inward peace. Amen. Temporary pleasures and distraction. You can Netflix binge yourself into amusement, which means not thinking. But it won't give you peace. The Spirit, though, gives peace plus. What I mean by peace plus? Plus all these other inward things. All these other, not just peace. Peace is very important, very needed. But, but all of this is through the Spirit. We can have peace in spite of circumstances. The world can only have peace depending on circumstances. Depend, oh, as long as I got, you know, everything's going right and nothing's rocking my boat. But we can have peace when the, bo the boat is like all discombobulated and going all over the place. Now that doesn't mean that our flesh isn't there or our enemy won't try and rob us of peace. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah, we, we all know this. I bet you sometime this week your peace was robbed. So this week, this morning, you know, that's <laughs> the only reason I'm here. You know, it's, uh, you know we, we can... We still have a flesh that battles our spirit, and so we can still have the peace that Jesus promised robbed. I've been robbed of it thousands of times, where I've literally been robbed of peace. But what Jesus is saying is, you need to know that my presence is there. You're listening to the wrong voice. He says, my peace I leave with you. He says, let 
not your heart be troubled. There's a very intentional statement here. Don't let your heart be troubled. How do, sometimes my heart's been troubled. Lord, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to let it be troubled, so why is it troubled? He says, let not your heart be troubled. Lord, if I could choose that, I'd already chosen it 10 minutes ago. So why is it still troubled? I've been doing a lot of meditating and thinking on this passage this week. Uh, again, doesn't mean the enemy's not there. He will try and rob us. Uh, but notice his words. If he says, don't let your heart be troubled, but he also says, my peace I leave with you. The world and the pop music and the pop culture says this. You've heard it in songs. Listen to your heart. Right. Jesus is saying here, uh-uh. Listen to the helper. The world says, listen to your heart. God says, do not listen to your heart. I don't care how many times you've seen it on Oprah or this, that, and the other. Do not listen to your heart. He says, listen to the helper. Because your heart will lie and will spin you up. Your heart is making you troubled. He says, your heart's deceitfully wicked. Who can understand the book of Jeremiah? He says, listen to the helper. Don't listen to your heart. Do not listen to your heart. Start listening to the helper. And that's what he's saying. He said, otherwise your peace will be robbed. You have to walk in the spirit. Listen to the helper. Verse 28. Back to the elephant in the room here in verse 28. You have heard me say that I'm going away. This is the big problem in their mind, that Jesus is going away. And coming back to you, if you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. This has caused all their troubled spirits and their, all their questions that Jesus is leaving. And it is fact. Uh, Jesus made it clear that, yes, he is leaving very soon. But in addition to the spirit who he's going to leave with them, in addition to that, he will be in the presence of the, of the Father interceding for them. You want the risen Jesus at the throne room of God interceding on your behalf with the Spirit of God left with you. Even if we don't understand why this is true, if Jesus said it, that's all you need to know. If he says you should be glad, then yes, sir. I'm not going to listen to my heart. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to the Helper. And it's our benefit that Jesus is sitting right next to the Father, interceding on our behalf. We get that from other passages in the Scriptures, not specifically this one. He also says something interesting here. He says, my Father is greater than I. And he already told them, he already told the disciples that if they saw him, that they saw the Father. So what does it mean that since he is the Father, and yet he's also the Son, yet he's equal to the Father, that the Father is greater than him? What does he mean by that? Well, it's not that the Father is greater than the Son in the sense that both of them are equally great. He's speaking positionally of God the Father gives the will of the Father to the Son, and that's where the Son receives the commandments to go into the world and to give his life a ransom for many. My Father positionally is greater, but not greater within the triune. They are all three equally. But he's saying, my Father is the one that sets the agenda of beginning to end. And me and the Spirit, the Son and the Spirit, are working within the will of the Father. Does that make sense positionally? You and if you're married, you're not greater than your wife. Your wife's not greater than you. There's a positional thing, but there's an equality in value. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Father's will, Jesus is there to be right beside the Father. So if the Father will say, 
Remember Jesus said, only the Father knows when he's going to return. The Father said, blow the trumpet. That's coming from God the Father. Positionally. Verse 29. Um, he says in verse 20, I've got to wrap this up. Yep, got to wrap it up here. And now I've told you before it comes uh, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. He has told them all of this in advance. It's important that he told them in advance because when he rises and they see him risen, when they receive the Spirit, just as he said they will, John chapter 20, and the outpouring of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, and they receive the Helper's help, and they see all the things that Jesus said are starting to come to light, then their faith will be strengthened. If Jesus told you ten things that will happen in your life, and they all happen, your faith in him would only grow. Well, you already have that because you have the written word. He's already told us things that are coming and are actually happening. Their faith is going to be strengthened. Look at verse 30. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world we already know. We talked about Jesus said the same phrase earlier. The ruler of this world is Satan. Satan is most clearly coming against Jesus. He is looking forward to getting Jesus on the cross. He'll even use Judas Iscariot to come and arrest him. He'll soon after the resurrection be start to come after the church and come after every believer that's in Jesus, attack after attack, but Satan has nothing in Jesus. He has no power whatsoever over Jesus. None. Any more than an ant has power over my shoe. None. I've killed a lot of ants in my lifetime. But anyway, uh, there was nothing spiritual about that statement. Anyway, um, but Satan has no... I'm just trying to show that I can crush an ant like Jesus can crush Satan. That's on my point. Uh, that uh, Satan has no power whatsoever when it comes to the church. It even says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. Isn't that good to know that Satan has no power over you? He wants you to lie. He wants you to listen to lies and listen to your heart and you got to know, listen to the helper. Listen to the helper. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I have total power. Verse 31, our last verse here this morning. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father loved me, uh, as the Father gave me commandment, I so do. Arise, let us go from here. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And the Father so loved the world that he gave his Son into the world, John chapter 3, verse 16. But the proof, listen to these last few points, and we're going to come to a close. The proof of Jesus' love for the Father is the same proof of our love for Jesus. Jesus obeyed the Father. Obedience. He obeyed the will of the Father. And so our proof that we love Jesus, that we obey Him, and Jesus, His proof that He loved the Father, is He obeyed the Father. And Jesus says here, speaking of the unimaginable pain He's going to endure, He says, so I do. The I do is the cross. He's saying I do to the cross. I do to shedding my blood. It's referring to his receiving God's commandment to lay down his life and him doing what? Obeying the command. Look at the verse, John 10, 17. We know emphatically Jesus made this point. John 10, 17. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life. It's right there. Jesus makes it clear. The, the reason the Father loves me is I obey him and the reason I know you love me is you obey me. The whole scene here is Jesus showing a reflection. My footstep, you follow it. This footstep, you follow it. Whatever I did with the Father, you now do with me. I obey the Father, you obey, obey me. All of these things are clear. And then lastly, he says here, arise, let us go from here. 
Arise, let us go, is to prepare them for leaving from the upper room and going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Though it does not appear that they do this immediately. Uh, my own opinion here, I think the, uh, the apostles decide they just want to linger longer. Uh, but many scholars do believe uh, that there is a lingering. And we know there has to be a lingering because we get chapter 15, 16, and 17. It appears that, and you've been part of this in your own life. Any of you ever been to dinner and you finish dinner and say, all right, we'll, we'll be leaving now. 45 minutes later, you're still sitting at the table. <laughs> Or someone's going to leave your house, or you're going to leave their house, and you're in their foyer for the next 40 minutes when you said, we'll see you tomorrow, and then someone else comes home from work. I thought y'all were leaving like, uh, well, we caught up on a few more things for the last hour, and I believe that this is what takes place. Jesus says it's time to go, but he knows they are not ready to go, but he also knows that he doesn't really want them fully. He's getting them prepared to arise and go. Because there's more to be said in chapter 15, 16, and 17. Now there is some that debate that say he shared all that on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't really see that, but nevertheless, I'm not dogmatic on it. Um, but here's what I love about this statement from Jesus where he says, Arise and go at this last point. He's kind of preparing them to call before the call. Once you know that you've received Jesus' salvation by his sacrifice, and you know that the Helper's been given to you, and you have his peace, and you have his leading, you can arise and go. Amen? You are able to arise and go. And you can do his commands today, and tonight, and tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and for every bit of the thousands of steps that you and I may have between now and the time that he calls us home, where we meet him in the air, we have his help to do his work. Don't listen to your heart this week. Listen to the Helper. Amen? Father, we thank you again for this time in your word. Lord, we pray that we would tune our ears. We cannot see the Holy Spirit, not physically, but we can see the Holy Spirit with spiritual eyes. We can see the presence of Jesus in our life. And I pray, Lord, that we would yield to your presence, that your peace would saturate our lives, but all the fruit of the Spirit would come forth as we listen to the helper and disregard the deceptive nature of our own hearts and listen to you. For you will never fail us, never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray.